listening to the Plugged In Podcast, presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome back to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens, and returning to the show today to discuss his new report on the costs of electrification is Tom Canton. Tom is the president of T-Squared and Associates, a firm providing consulting services to the energy and technology industries. T-Squared and Associates are active primarily in the area of renewable energy and interconnected infrastructures, analyzing, providing advice on their impacts on energy prices, environmental quality, and regional economic development. Mr. Tan is also the director of science and technology at the Energy and Environment uh, Legal Institute, uh, which is where this report that we're discussing today was published. Tom, it's good to have you back on the show today. Well, I'm glad you asked me to come back. Yeah, so uh, last week you released a a uh, report with E&E Legal that analyzes the capital costs associated with electrification of the economy. And I don't know if you had planned this, but this was a very timely report. As uh, we saw in California, the um, further moves in the direction of electrification. I guess, were you anticipating something like that? Or did these things just happen to align? Well, I, I think they, they happened to align. When I, when I started the report, it was back uh, a little earlier when uh, the topic of the day was uh, the Green New Deal by Assemblyman Ocasio-Cortez. And th- at that time, there were some different estimates of the cost of the plan, up, upwards of $100 trillion. But it included a lot of other things besides energy. So I wanted to focus just on the cost to the energy infrastructure. As it turns out, you know, bad ideas have a habit of coming back to like bad pennies. <laughs> Certainly always seems to be the case in the areas that we work here with uh, energy and environmental issues. So let's get into the report a little bit. Let's start, I, I guess it's important to sort of lay out the assumptions that you made uh, when you were coming uh, to the calculations of uh, these costs. So give us maybe just a brief dis- uh, description of the methodology that you took and um, and just sort of lay out what uh, what went into uh, the figures that you came up with in the report. Yeah, the process really is not that sophisticated. It's a pretty simple sledgehammer approach. We took the energy consumption by sector, you know, for electricity production and automobile, gasoline, and buildings and all those sort of things from the Energy Information Administration in BTUs, well, we converted whatever the units were into BTUs. We then divided the BTUs into uh, what it would take to satisfy that demand using electricity at unit conversion. So if it was 3,412 BTUs, that was equal to one kilowatt hour. Then we determined how many kilowatts it would take to produce that many kilowatt hours in a year. And then also using EIA cost data for the cost of wind and solar and natural gas fire combined cycles, et cetera, uh, what would be the capital cost if everything was built overnight to satisfy that level of consumption? And that's how, and those are in dollar terms, dollars per kilowatt. And we just multiplied out the number of kilowatts uh, by the dollars per kilowatt to come up with the dollars. Now, an interesting uh, feature was for renewables, since they operate at about a 30% capacity factor, you need 
three times as many kil installed kilowatts as if you had a natural gas-fired combined cycle. So all of a sudden, the capital costs skyrocket. In addition, we added storage to the renewable component because the renewables are not always available, as we saw in California here two or three weeks ago. So the assumption was no increase or decrease in consumption, just convert everything to electricity, and what does it cost to build out that infrastructure? Oh, we also added in a, a transmission component to get all this new electricity to where it's being used. Gotcha, to account for having to move electricity from places where higher wind and... Right, if it, yeah, exactly. So let's go through some of the cost estimates that came out of the report. I think our listeners would benefit from hearing the estimates at the national level for all of these. And then um, if we could also just pick out California, I think that would be important just because that state is, has moved probably the closest in the direction of um, trying to take this approach to electrification. Starting with the costs associated with moving the electricity grid to 100% renewables, uh, what was the estimate that you found there? Well, for the United States as a whole, it's just under $3 trillion. But that's just the existing uh, electricity consumption. It doesn't count converting everything, all the cars to electric vehicles, all the buildings to electric heaters. That's just the existing electrification. It's just under $3 trillion. And in California... Because, partly because there's a significant component already in renewables, it's on the order of $180 billion. Gotcha. And then if we were to go through the uh, the other cost estimates of those things that you mentioned, do you mind just running through all, all of those as well? Um, yeah, for, for trans, yeah, for transportation, the, keep in mind there's two components for transportation. One is the vehicles themselves, and one is the electricity supply portion. You know the power plants or the wind turbines or whatever it is to produce electricity to replace the gasoline in cars. For the U.S., the latter th is about just over five trillion dollars, and the the vehicle costs to replace the vehicles is just about four point four trillion dollars for the U.S. In California, it's about five hundred forty billion dollars for the um, infrastructure cost, the additional electrical co generating capacity, and about $470 billion for the vehicles themselves. Now, that doesn't include the construction vehicles like, you know, your D9 Caterpillars and off-road vehicles, which for California would be about $61 billion. Yeah, so obviously these costs are quite staggering, and we probably don't need to spell it out for listeners, but what does this mean? What would this mean for energy consumers? Well, for energy consumers, uh, think that it would be about $3,000 per year per capita. Now, the interesting thing I should note is if people don't like my numbers for costs, they can download the spreadsheet, calculate, you know, and put different cost estimates and calculate their own. But they're not they're, I don't think they're going to be that significantly different. The numbers are staggering. The numbers on a whole are, you know, close to $30 trillion. Now, that also doesn't include enough capacity to deal with 
uh, heat waves or bomb cyclones and you know super cold weather, which would add another seven or eight trillion dollars to the estimates. These are these are just for sort of average conditions. But if you have a heat wave, you need more energy capacity, you know, electrical capacity. And if you have a, a cold snap, like they experience every few winters in the Midwest, that's that's mostly satisfied right now with natural gas. But if they take natural gas away and, and require electricity, uh, you got to have a whole lot of power plants running to, to make that up. So in that sense, I think it's safe to say that these cost estimates are conservative in the sense that you're assuming the most optimal weather and environmental conditions and things. Yeah, that, that's fair to say. So the report also provides a cost per avoided ton of carbon dioxide by end use sector number. And that, that's sort of a mouthful, but it's obviously a nice gauge in terms of uh, for people who are th- thinking about policy in terms of avoiding carbon dioxide emissions sort of highlights, you know, where this sort of idea would stand in, on those terms. So uh, could you explain how that fi- figure is calculated and what it highlights and just uh, provide the range of estimates there? Yeah, I, I'd point out first that much of the uh, so-called justification for electrification as a, as a policy goal is to reduce carbon dioxide emissions. There might be other reasons, but that's sort of the, the favorite one. And what we did was we took the sectoral emissions by state and divided that by the cost for that state, or divided the cost by the sectoral emissions. So if you electrify an entire sector, like commercial buildings, what are are the emissions currently from that commercial sector? And if you get rid of all of them by electrification, what is the cost per ton reduced? What are the tons divided by the the cost. And we then compared those costs to the, quote, social cost of carbon, which is a theoretical benchmark of what reducing a ton of carbon is worth. Where we're talking about the cost, and the cost is different than the value. And you don't do things unless the value is greater than the cost to do it. So, uh, the, the social cost of carbon is, in, you know, sometimes 40, sometimes 60, sometimes 12, uh, depending upon what the time horizon is. But if you take a $40 benchmark, $40 a ton is the avoided damages caused by not emitting a, a ton of carbon dioxide. But as it turns out, the cost of electrification is very, it, it's a very wide range, anywhere from a little over $300 a ton to over $10,000 a ton, depending upon the sector and the state that you're in. And in only three or four instances was the cost less than the value. So in only very few instances does it make sense to electrify if your goal is to reduce carbon dioxide. If your goal is something else, that is a different question. But keep in mind that electrifying everything destroys decades of diversification of energy sources. If everything is is electricity, uh, yeah, you you can have a diverse source of electricity, but you're dependent upon the grid. You know, your houses are dependent, your commercial buildings are dependent. And and most outages 
of electricity are on the transmission distribution side, not on the generation side. So you can have a diverse as hell uh, generation mix doesn't protect the consumer from outages. And we saw that in California here a couple of weeks ago during our heat wave. And we were, while we were short of uh, capacity, what we're experiencing today are what are referred to as public safety power shutdowns, where the concern is that the wind will blow down a power line or a tree into a power line. In the report, you, you also discuss this element of it, um, these costs that are sort of apart from just the capital costs that we've been discussing before. Um, so the impact on other prices, uh, things like stranded assets. Uh, could you go through that element as well? Yeah, stranded assets are, are if, if we electrify everything, all the other assets, you know, the natural gas pipelines, and natural gas wells, um, the, the other assets that are part of the energy infra- macro infrastructure, uh, if they're still used and useful, that's a stranded asset. That's It's like taking a car that's still useful and throwing it away. So that's a significant cost. And the deadweight costs have been estimated by others as upwards of $500 billion. So there's, a, there's other costs in addition to what I've estimated. There's also some cost savings, potentially, but I didn't estimate those. I just wanted to get a handle on what it would it cost to to do this. So those those are other costs that would be significant. There's also non-monetized costs like consumer preferences. The California Restaurant Association is suing the city of Berkeley because the city of Berkeley has said no new gas fired anything. Uh, and they have to electrify it. Well, that includes um, restaurants. Restaurant cooks, even from from you know your your simple inexpensive diner up to your five star restaurants, cook with gas because of the way gas cooks. They're suing the city of Berkeley because Berkeley said no more gas, uh, and that that suit is. Um, winding its way, way through the courts. But there, there's a lot of consumer preference for natural gas as opposed to electric uh, cooking. Some people prefer uh, electric cooking, and that's that's their right to, to prefer that. But why take away the right of the folks who prefer to cook with gas? That's an extremely important point, I think, in terms of that knowledge about what people in very particular circumstances prefer um, and the, the example that you gave of cooks in a restaurant is a great example. Uh, that knowledge is rarely available to would-be regulators or you know people coming up with plans for electrifying everything. Um, and that's something that's almost universally missed in conversations about energy, at least from my perspective. I rarely see people talking about that. Well, it's, it's just one example of the the problem of the ego of regulators. Regulators somehow think they know enough or will find out enough of all the different issues and all the different perspectives and, and, they, and they try to um, condense it down into an average, an average cook, an average resident, whatever. 
and there's it's a it's a fundamental fallacy, and it's and it's widely talked about in the academic circles, and and I wish it would get more traction in the actual policy debates, that the policy makers cannot possibly know about the variety of perspectives and desires and value sets and risk aversion and and all those other things. It's just not possible. Yeah, and it sort of starts a process where, uh, like you said, they, they want to put it into some sort of thing that they can measure and that information about why a cook might want to use uh, natural gas flame for cooking isn't uh, something that's very measurable. So instead of telling themselves, well, there may be something that we're missing, they try to fit the world then uh, into their interpretation of what needs to be done. And like that. Well, there, there, there's that. And there's, there's a, a pernicious issue as well. They'll, they'll put in place a regulation and somebody then will complain. So we'll get a we'll get an exemption or a carve out or a fit, you know partial fix or something, and rather than removing the infection of the bad regulation, they try to treat it with with additional uh, add-ons, and each add-on confounds the issue even further. So it's it's a never-ending cycle of regulation on top of regulation on top of regulation on top of regulation. When the solution is more straightforward, just remove the remove the infection at its core, remove the the offending regulation. Another thing that again you know, it, it irks me that the regulators who are pushing for, and other interest groups that are pushing for electrifying everything simply don't understand is what is it doing to energy security. Not energy security as a nation, but energy security at the consumer level, at the individual consumer level. I think it's it's another dangerous thing. I lived through California energy crisis of 2000, and uh, I don't want to see that happen again. As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you were you came on uh, the podcast just about a month ago, and we sort of discussed some of the history there of California's problems and. Uh, some of the issues that we're seeing now. Um, so I'd encourage listeners, if they haven't, um, to go back and listen to that podcast because uh, you did a really good job of outlining a lot of the regulatory history there and um, talking about the problems that uh, we're seeing now. This is the final thing on the report. I w- would highlight that, I think we've mentioned this, but uh, you, pro- you provide cost estimates for um, each state in particular. Uh, so. I- think listeners might find that valuable um, to know that you know you can get sort of a, a national figure but then also look at the state level aspect of things uh, yeah is there anything that you know we, we haven't covered that you want to highlight for uh, people listening well I, I think the key is not only can you get it by state uh, you can get it by end juice so if you want to look at just the electricity generation you can get that if you want to look at just building retrofit, you can get that. Or if you want to look at just a state and a end juice, you can get that. So it's it's pretty flexible in giving information that is useful for policy debates. What I don't want to happen, though, is people fall into the hubris 
of this information being the answer. The intent is to get is to start a discussion. What is this electrification going to cost us? I've given my ideas about what it's going to cost. Others have may may have other ideas. Um, but let's let's not run willy-nilly into electrification before we understand what all the uh, costs are, what all the risk items are and stuff. You know, I, I referred to the California situation in 2000. First of all, California never had an energy crisis. California had a capacity crisis. We had plenty of energy just at the wrong places at the wrong time. Uh, and people never really understood that. The other thing they didn't understand was they were, you know, fussing around with the generation mix, not the not the, the delivery infrastructure. So you have to look at everything in sort of an in integrated fashion. The other thing is, it wasn't really an issue of electricity. It was a problem with with natural gas. We had a major natural gas pipeline have to be derated because there was uh, internal corrosion detected. So all the power plants in the South Coast Air Quality Basin, i.e. Los Angeles, had to shut down because there shut reduced output because the natural gas delivery system was, was failing. So people look for simple solutions, and the solutions aren't always simple. And the, solu the simple solutions usually lead to worse problems. So if any, you know, if there's anything people take away from my talk with you today, Alex, is don't let it become too simplified. I really like your point about starting a conversation as well, though, too. I, I hope that if there's somebody out there who's listening to this that, you know, maybe has a different perspective and would like to engage, um, obviously, from what you've said here, you know, you're eager <laughs> to um to participate in that and uh i i hope so and i hope somebody's out there listening to us well i i, uh, I can assure you that there are because I, I i don't think they would keep letting me uh go on with this uh unless they, there weren't so um, no I, I i know tom pretty good he's uh yeah. he's not going to be in the mood for make work yes uh so uh just where can people go to find the report and uh, if anybody's interested in contacting you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Okay. Uh, first, if they go to eelegal, all one word, eelegal.org, that stands for Environment and Economic Legal.org. Uh, right now, if they go to the press release it's on the homepage, go to press releases for September 22nd. That was the release date. They can get the report. They can also get the spreadsheet which is where the calculations reside. If they want to contact me, my current email address is T-T-A-N-T-O-N at F-A-S-T-K-A-T dot com. Great. My guest today has been Tom Tanton of E&E Legal. Tom, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Alex.